Brilliant to have you with us tonight. This is our last week. We've been going through Daniel, the book of Daniel, and this is our last week of 12 weeks going through Daniel. I think it's three months. We survived Daniel. Sorry, I survived Daniel. It means it's been fascinating to, to look into some of the I mean, incredible themes in the book of Daniel. If you've missed it, the MP3s are available for free on the website. We're a few weeks behind on that, but we're catching up, so make, make the most of that facility. We've got an archive of a good, you know, many years worth of MP3s, all available free from guest speakers who come to the services here, many of whom are well-known speakers, as well as uh, people you won't have heard so much about, and, but the r- real wealth of stuff there, make, make the most of that facility. But we're going to be starting a new series on Proverbs on Sunday evenings. Personally, I'm really excited about that. Bless you. Bless you. So, but before we teach tonight on Daniel chapter 12, let me take a bit of time. I realize not everyone was here. How many people were here in one of the services earlier today? Okay, about 30, 40% of you. Okay, let me just take a bit of time just to explain to you what's happening with our building situation. Uh, You've been hearing drips and drops over the last few months about our dream of expansion in the city and our dream of impacting beyond uh, this building into the rest of the city. So let me just quickly take you through a quick presentation that I took people through this morning. And it'll hit, I, I want us all to be on board as a congregation. Uh, and I realize that just now we never meet all at once because there's not enough space for us all to meet at once as a congregation. But it's important that we, we're all on board and all tracking with where the church is going. So having two buildings in Leith at this stage we feel might be inefficient. We're, we're feeling in our spirit that God is calling us to specifically impact another part of town, Gorgie. And this comes having a, a long couple of years of consideration and prayer. Four years ago, we felt God speak to us very, very clearly about moving to Leith and launching services here. And the fruit on the grounds is, is just incredible. We, we've seen three services emerge. Uh, hundreds of people gather every week. And we're just so encouraged by that. And that was specifically because we felt God lead us to Leith and uh, God bless us with this building. We don't have time to go into how that happens, but it's just incredible. Many of you were part of that journey way back then. Not that we feel God's leading us away from Leith. We still very much feel that Leith has got to be a hub of our activities in Edinburgh. But we also feel that God has been leading us very clearly to start focusing attention also on another area, Gorgie. A number of reasons we've come to this conclusion. Andrew uh, Owen, who was speaking last Sunday night here, uh, he oversees the work here, and he's my accountability base, he's my mentor, has a real apostolic vision for, for our church here. And so I, I add weight to things he says. So I'm always asking, are you feeling something from the Lord for us? So he's a man who hears God's voice. And it, he, he shared a number of things, good three or four things with me in the last couple of years and with our team here, and we've been praying into these things, and we've become convinced before God that, that actually this is the leading of God for us to start new things in Gorgie. A while back, he, in praying, Andy had a picture for us that we, he saw the a residential area on the Glasgow side of town, and he really felt God was saying that there was a residential area on the Glasgow side of this city uh, that we needed to be working into. Uh, more recently... Uh, about a year ago, he heard God speak very clearly that we were going to be one congregation with two locations. 
this is very important we understand this. We're not talking about starting another congregation here. We're one congregation with two locations. To be honest, it's not going to be much different from what we're experiencing just now. We have one congregation with three services. And the fact is, you don't meet everyone at all the three services. So it'll be this exact same dynamic, except just in buildings. And when you realize that also church isn't a building, this is a building, but this is not the church. We're the church. His people are church. And when you understand that people are church, then buildings are just places where people meet. So we're going to be one congregation, a city congregation, with two different locations. Andy also got himself lost before he had sat nav in his car. He got lost in Edinburgh, and he found himself wandering the streets of Gorgie. And as he was wandering the streets of Gorgie, uh, which was hap- so happened to be a coincidence that he got lost there, he heard God speak to him crystal clear. He felt God saying that there is a lot of people to reach in this specific area, and that we should be focusing our efforts there. If you look at Gorgie, the demographic is very similar to Leith. Lots of first-time buyers, real multicultural feel, which we love vast social needs, lots of single parent families. You go from one street to the other, you go from people who are injecting heroin to the next street, and you've got people who are graduates and professionals working in the bank. It's the exact same dynamic in both areas. So we know that God has blessed us in this area, and we believe that in two areas we can grow the congregation. Also a very strategic location in the city. This shows a survey that was carried out by Carubbers and Origin Scotland's And they looked at the density of where people live around the city. And they compared this with the locations of churches around the city. And then they they analyzed the churches around the city. And they analyzed how much activities those churches were doing. So based on that, they were able to chart uh, how far the population of Edinburgh is away from active, growing, lively churches. The red areas, the red of the area indicated in this map, which looks like Edinburgh's got a disease. Uh, It indicates the further away people are from an active church. So the dark red areas are areas where there's a lot of people to reach. And uh, now we didn't know any of this when we felt God speak to us about Leith. Nor did we know any of this when we felt God speak to us about Gorgie. Uh, But if you look strategically, they're just spot on. The hub here, this is the castle, Princess Street, all the tourist areas. And as you can see, that's the Bible Belt of Edinburgh. There's a huge density of terrific churches. I know many of the great leaders and the great churches that are in those locations. There is a less density of population. So that's well reached. That's the Bible Belt. Uh, our buildings here in Leith, and as you can see, there's a real area of need up here. And then down here, at the very dot there, is a building we're specifically looking at in Gorgie, at the very end of that arrow. You try to figure out what one it is now. From our building in Leith, our goal and our dream is from here to outreach into the northeast of the city. From the location that we want to open up in Gorgie, our dream and vision is to connect with the southwest of the city. Our dream is that we're going to be a citywide church. This has all been based on the sense that God is leading us. We've had prophetic words speaking about it. We've been, we, as a leadership, we've been praying into it, and we really feel that this is indeed God's guidance. Now, further to this, you remember a few weeks ago, we, we asked everyone to write down their postcodes uh, in the services. You remember that? Two, we did this in the 12 o'clock and the 6.30 service. Now, not everyone put the postcodes down, but 100 people did. And when we, when we charted their, the locations of the 100 people based on the postcodes given, this is the graph that we came up with. And as you can see there's a, a very fairly wide distribution of people around the congregations. There's only 100 dots there. There's 400 folks in the church. 
So we understand it doesn't reflect the entire congregation. But if that's the trends in the first hundred, we're guessing that's probably going to be similar across the congregation. And this gave us great peace of mind that actually location isn't really the issue for our congregation. It is an issue for our outreach into our community and where we should be. But in terms of the gathering of the church, already our church gathers from across the city. We're not a local parish church. Our church is a city-wide church. I guess that model fits better because today people don't really know people in their neighborhoods. You can go, you can live in a tenement and never meet the people in your stairwell. Uh, People don't have a marketplace. There's not much sense of community in an urban location. However, people do have relationships through work, through social circles, and those relationships are usually city-wide. And people know people from other parts of the city, not necessarily people in their locality. So we as a church are just going with the flow of that. We're not trying to we're not trying to force something that's not there, but we're just going with the flow of those natural relationships that are already in place. So two centers makes great sense. Okay, here's the building. We're looking at this particular building. It's an old cinema. Uh, that's Tyne Castle. You see the lights of Tyne Castle, just at the spotlights for the floodlighting for the pitch. This is an old cinema called the New Trivoli. It was converted into bingo hall, and it's been on the market for a year now. It's a B-listed building. Developers have looked at it and can't do anything with it because the planners won't let them. It's an Art Deco building. Internally, there's lots of Art Deco features. Here's the pluses and minuses for this particular building. There's 750 to 950 seats. It's a prime location in Gorgie. Great signage you can see here. There's uh, kind of squares in the wall. They were originally poster things for the cinema. It works really well. We, we sometimes hire bus shelter adverts out here to let folks know about the, about the church. And it costs a lot of money, but to have that on your building is terrific. Great bus routes, good price. They're asking around about the million pound mark, which is phenomenal for, which in some places of Edinburgh, you buy a house for that. It's relatively, that's a very, very good price. It's still not an easy price for us to raise, but we can do it by the grace of God. So it's a good price. The downside is parking. There's not, no parking immediately at the building. Uh, nevertheless, there is parking at the Fountain Park complex, which you know has got the cinema and kind of Mexican place and Pizza Hut and bowling and all that. Five minutes away, you can get parking there and people can walk five minutes to get to this building. So it's, it's, there's re- real good parking with hundreds and hundreds of spaces just a short walk from here. We've, we've been aware of this building for a, a good year, but just in the last month, we've been become highly aware of this building to the point where we believe this is the one. And that's why we're talking about it to you. We don't usually talk with such detail uh, to get everyone's hopes up if we weren't serious. We've had a valuation survey done. So we're already spending thousands of pounds on surveys. We've had a a structural survey done. We had planning consultants in the building last week. We've now had two or three viewings. Just so you know, I'm not working independently. The core leadership here as a church have already been around the building. We've had Andrew through to view the building with us. And uh, we've talked to all of the leadership about it, the 60 leaders that help run cell groups and teams in the church here. Unanimously, there's a green light in our hearts. There's a, let's go for it. There's a couple of questions people have, specifically about one congregation, two centres. But I hope I've helped answer that, that actually we're experiencing that same dynamic with multiple services already. And already the congregation is from the city. And please rest assured, Leith is so much on our agenda, as you'll see in a moment. So that's not like we're not changing our focus. Leith and Gorgie, in fact, the whole city is our focus. The other questions have been about parking, but as I mentioned, there is parking nearby and there's terrific bus routes as well. Here's some interior shots. This is the view you'd get if you were preaching. 
That'd freak you out, wouldn't it? Ooh. It's scary enough looking out to this. It's basically a big version of this. As you can see, it's got a curved ceiling. There's the main floor with balcony. And uh, you can see the bingo tables down here. We'd probably lose them and put normal seats in. Uh, you're always sitting around with your picnics. So that's that. Then there's the next slide shows. This is the view looking back to the stage. It's got a bar underneath it. We'll, we'll probably change that. Uh, lower the stage slightly. You get vertigo standing in that stage just now. Really, it's, 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 your feet are about this high off the ground. It's really freaky looking down. But it's really quite cool and Art Deco. Maybe give it a lick of paint. Incidentally, the black and white is deliberate. Okay, it's not just we've got an old-fashioned camera. We did do black and white for a reason, all right? You'd have to put glasses, sunglasses on. If we had it in full color, it's going to... Whoa, purples and pinks and... I'm telling you. Uh, so black and white is deliberate. Next slide shows you up top there, sunglasses on. Bottom there, up top there shows you the cafe area underneath the balcony looking towards the stage. Up top, uh, sorry, at the bottom here, you see the balcony looking right down to the main floor. Uh, this is the tour in the cafe. There's a wall and the book sales. Lose that. But there'll be a kind of Starbucks-style cafe there. That's looking from the cafe to the main uh, stage. And then this here, this door here, and this door entrance here takes you into the main lobby. The next slide is Pete Kitchener, worship leader. And again and again and again. In a very dodgy position there. Uh, and this is, this is 250 seats in the balcony looking down to the main floor, main stage down there as well. So there's a good capacity here. This compares the two buildings. This is our building we're in just now. On the left, we can have 225 spaces. If we use the cafe, as we sometimes do for bigger events, it takes us to 255. In comparison, this is, uh, th these are to scale in relative to each other. Here we have 750 seats, but as we spill out into the cafe area, it can take 950 people for bigger events. So it's terrific. A few more things to say about this. We're offering around about the 900,000 mark. Offer is going in. That's why we're talking to you folks about it. We estimate we're going to need an additional 400,000 pounds on top of that purchase price to refurbish it. Now, we hope that we can refurbish it before we move in, assuming our offer is accepted. Uh, in order to pay a 1.3 million pound mortgage, we're going to need two things. We're going to need a down payment, and we're going to need money in the bank each month to pay the monthly payments. The monthly payments in that scale of mortgage will be around about the £8,000 mark. Uh, okay, how are we going to pay that? Well, obviously the church must continue, okay? <laughs> right, that's obvious. In other words, you can't just like divert all funds to this, otherwise the main thing stops happening. We have to stack all our staff, uh, no more leaflets, everything stops, it grinds to a big halt, it cannot happen. The main thing has got to remain the main thing. So. Here's the challenge, folks. As a congregation, we're going to have to raise our giving over and above ordinary tithes and offerings that come in on a Sunday, make church happen. Tithes, pay the salaries and gifts to help the poor and, and so on. And offerings help things happen, function happen in the congregation. Pay bills, hire halls, get leaflets, etc., etc. And believe you me, already tithes and offerings, it barely just pays for what we're doing just now. So over and above the tithes and offerings, we need to have additional giving coming in. Now, here's the good news. Two months ago, three months ago, we, we asked people to contribute to a month, on a monthly basis to set up a standing order. And that money would be in place so that when we do buy a building, we're able to service a mortgage on a monthly basis. Now, 74 standing orders were set up. 
individuals and families. And we really appreciate that. If, if you have done that, thank you so much, everyone who's contributing monthly to that. It is so appreciated. And it is enabling us to have a one big step towards making this a reality. We estimate that, so that's bringing £4,000 a month in. We need that to raise to about £8,000 a month. So we need to have round about between 150 and 200 people signing up for standing orders on a monthly basis. The, month, the average standing order is about £50 just now. Some people are giving much more than that. Some people are giving much less than that. The amount is not the issue. It really isn't. I stressed this this morning. We're not looking for equal giving. We're looking for equal sacrifice. We understand that for some people, you can give this. That would be wonderful. For other people, you can give this. That would be wonderful. That is not the issue. The issue is that as a congregation, we move together. And if we move together, I believe this is totally achievable. Bearing in mind that when we had 40 people in our congregation, we bought this building, which we got for a quarter of a million pounds. We had to raise £44,000 as a down payment. So it was £1,000 per every person in the congregation at that stage. It was a big step of faith, considering we were mostly young students. <laughs> so we all got our student loans and put them in. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you on. But it was a big step of faith. And today, hundreds of people are benefiting from the price that they paid. You and I are benefiting from that price. Now today in this, this crowd, we have the opportunity to pay a price for the folks who are yet to come in the next step. That next step with the, not just hundreds, but the thousands we're going to impact through this building and through this location as well in Leith. You guys and myself, we have an opportunity, an historic opportunity, to make a difference with our giving so that they can benefit. We pay a price so they benefit. Just like four years ago, people paid a price for this building so you and I could benefit in this space. So it's another step to be taken. So we want to raise that. So please, we're not going to take up the offering tonight for that. In the next few weeks, we'll be taking up that offering. So, but please, could you prayerfully consider, if you're already having a standing order, if God has blessed you since doing that, please consider increasing the standing order amount. If you haven't set up a standing order, why not get behind the vision? It could be a fiver a month. It could be 200 pounds a month. But whatever it is, what you give will be hugely valued Every gift counts. You might think it's, it's embarrassingly small. It, forget it. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. We understand if you could afford more, you'd give more. So just give what you can. If you can help in that way, we'd appreciate it. We also have to, the big challenge of raising a large down payment. And this is not the regular giving we're talking about here. This is, again, this is a large amount of money we need to raise. We need to raise several hundred thousand pounds as a down payment to purchase the building and to refurbish it. But again, I believe that's possible. Completely believe it's possible. I'm sure you're with me in that. Yeah. <laughs> right, write down everyone who said amen, okay? <laughs> so we've got to raise several hundred thousand pounds. There, are, there may be people here today who could simply write one check and clear the whole thing. I, I know that. And you, like me, are thinking, who is that person? That's fine. <laughs> but there are, certainly, I made one phone call to someone who doesn't even believe in God when we bought this building and we needed to raise a final £13,000 to buy this building and this person hasn't got many convictions about God himself but he wrote a cheque out for £13,000 sent it in the post so we could buy this building so there's a lot of people out there with a lot of money we've got resources there are people out there who've got resources we're not going to depend on everyone out there we've got to do our bit we've got to, we cannot expect anyone else to help us if we're not doing our bit here folks 
So we've got to shoulder the responsibility, whether it be by one-off gifts or whether it be by regular monthly giving. Give as it suits you. But we've got to carry the weight of this. We can make this happen. Wow, it's a big, big step, but it's an exciting step. And if people can buy, if families can buy a £1 million for them and their family to live in, then I'd have thought 400 folks gathering on a Sunday could chip in together and get a £1 million building that will not just have a living room in it, but can seat 950 people. I reckon it's possible. Here's the challenges and the time scales. There is another party interested in renting the building, but not interested in buying it. They can't buy it. They're looking to rent it. The client, the seller is not interested in renting. So just now, we are only the, the only serious offer on the table. And our offer probably goes... We tried to get it in on Friday, but the, the agents weren't available. It's going in on Monday, the offer. Planning permission for change of use, we need to have, but it's, it's not controversial. It's, it's a Class 11 use. It doesn't mean anything to anyone, I guess. It's a simple change from cinema bingo use to a church stroke community facility. Very straightforward, very uncontroversial. It should go through, no problem. It'll be a three-month consideration period for that. And in that three months, that's our time in which we've got to raise all the monies for it to come through, all right? The worst-case scenario, right, is that this all goes ahead, and then in the three months, oh, right, you want the money now? Ah, £10? Yes, wouldn't fare very well. So we've got, to, we've got to be committed right here and now to say, we can do this. And if everyone plays a part, we can do this. And then the, my guess is there'll be an additional four to six months refurbishment after, God willing, it all goes through. Uh, now, my dream is this. We have started this church in our flat in Haymarket, 1998. My dream is that by our 10-year birthday, June next year, June 2008, we can move in. For our 10-year birthday, we can have a big celebration event where we dedicate this building, have our birthday party, and maybe, you know, the first Sunday event that happens in the first Sunday of every month? Everyone gathers here, and it becomes one big celebration in Edinburgh. How good would that be, eh? Wow. So let's believe. Can you all pray, please? Can you all pray? Can you all pray that God will provide for us? Can you pray that God, make it real personal. God, provide for me, so I can provide for the church. Pray that kind of prayer. I'm praying that kind of prayer. Please get behind this. Get behind it in your faith. Get behind it in your prayers. We would also want to hear your feedback. Of, we've heard, we, it's, we can't really do question and answer in the main setting here. But what we would say is that we have tabled this with the leadership. And they've had a chance to have a question and answers. And their feedback has been incredibly positive. If it hadn't been, we wouldn't be at this stage we're at today. But with the backing of the leadership, we believe this is totally right. It's right, number one, because we need a bigger building. We cannot let the shoe decide the size of the foot. We've outgrown this. And our vision is for an entire city, not just for Leith. Secondly, we believe God's leading us specific to, to Gorgie, just as he led us specifically to Leith. So we're going to be obedient to that leading, take a step of faith, get out of our comfort zones. Thirdly, this building is a, a prime opportunity. To be honest, I don't know if we're going to get another building as good as this in this location, in this condition, with such simple planning situation at this price. It's, it's just, we could almost move in as is. We're just going to rise to it. If we can't do this with 400 people, then we, we're, we're kidding ourselves on. We've got to do it. We've got to rise to it. I would love your feedback. Please pray. Please let us know. Email us in the office here. Let us know your thoughts, positive and negative. If you've got concerns, let us know. We want to answer your questions. So please, it's a good time to talk to us. It's a good time to let us know. And let's, and let's pray together. Amen? One last thing.
Here's our reason for doing all this. Oh, in fact, here's quickly steps. Step one, we want to start in 2008. Sunday morning services, we'll cancel the two services here. We'll have one big service. And we haven't seen what that looks like yet. That'll be quite exciting uh, in Gorgie. The evening services will continue here. Step two, 2010, God willing, is that we will run a morning service in Gorgie and a morning service here with Kid Church in both. The same preacher will do both. Different worship bands, different setup team. And then we'll run a 5.30 in Gorgon at 7.30 here. Yeah, staggering the times so the same preacher can do both but different set of teams. All right, that's very possible. And what will, it will be one like stewarding team for the whole city but they'll be rooted on in different locations. And so there'll be an intermix of people. Worship leaders will do both venues at different weeks. So there'll be an intermix. So everyone, everyone will see the same familiar faces, same leadership in both settings. Step three, our dream would be third step to purchase by 2015 another 1,000 seat venue in Leith and from these two centres reach our our dream before God that we've set of 1% of our city by 2027 now you might think well Peter this is all very grandiose and it is to be honest folks and please 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 do not interpret this as some big ego trip it absolutely is not we're just being incredibly real with the fact that in our nation just now churches are on the decline and if we don't do something then something's going to happen by default and I'm not willing to accept that because I believe in a God who's paid a high price for the salvation of souls and he said I will build my church so I'm not going to accept statistics or the negative momentum we see in so many situations around our nation and we've got a dream for this church we also acknowledge the presence of other great awesome leaders and churches in this city who are doing a great job and you know what even if 10 churches got 5,000 people in it we'd still be a small fraction of our population a tiny drop in the ocean folks so we've got to think bigger we've got to think this is our moment this is our day we're going to rise to these challenges we only get sometimes we only get one shot at such, such things we've got to go for it amen right I realize that's taken a bit of time up uh, but I still will preach for just as long. Is that right? Yeah, you wouldn't say no, would you? Okay. Right, let's, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity that we have in this generation. God, we realize for some people they've heard that, that, that spiel twice now, Lord. But God, it's important that we look at the realities. We get excited before you. We rise to the challenge. God... For many people, this is a paradigm shift. They were thinking a city, not just a locality. We're thinking one congregation, city-wide, making a difference, shoulder to shoulder with other great congregations that you are birthing and that are emerging in this city just now. God, we thank you for the part we have to play, not just in Edinburgh, but we look forward to the day when we're debt-free in all our buildings and able to release colossal amounts of money to the mission field and to the aid organizations of this world. God, we want our lives to count for your glory, for the benefit of people all over this world. So God, we commit this step to you. We commit our own personal role in that. I pray, guide each one of us to know what part we have to play in this big picture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, tonight we're going to continue in Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. The title this evening is The Future of Humanity. Daniel ends with a climax, talking about some of the great events that lie ahead of us. As we've been going through Daniel, we have seen 
some of the most incredible prophecies about the future. Accurately depicting the arrival of Jesus, accurately depicting world events that have already taken place. But here tonight in the message we're going to be looking at, we see an accurate depiction not of events that have taken place, but one of the large events that each one of us will witness in, it, in the flesh. We will see these things. Not necessarily in this generation, maybe at some time in the future. But every one of us will be there to witness the events that are prophesied and predicted in Daniel 12. We're not going to look at all the verses. We're just going to look at a few of the verses. But here are the verses. In Daniel 12 and verse 1, we read that there will be a time of great distress which has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. The Bible in Daniel, we just take a collection of some of the key verses from Daniel 12, describing times at the end, times of challenge, times of large-scale events, the resurrection of the dead, which the Bible not just alludes to in Daniel here, but right throughout the whole Bible. End of the days, eschatology, the apocalypse, all these great themes that have been debated and discussed since time began. People have been discussing how time will end. All major religions on this planet have an opinion on the end of times. Interestingly, they have a, a certain concurrence that certain events will be similar. Hindus believe that at the end of time, everything will be restored to a golden era, quite similar to what we would describe. Muslims would say that uh, describing the time prior to the, the end of this, this life, this world, end of time, they describe there will be an increase of wickedness, that there will be an antichrist, that they, Muslims would even believe, go as far to say that Jesus Christ will return, they say this, and that he will judge people. Jews believe that the Messiah will return and will reign and his reign will bring peace as prophesied in the Jewish prophet Isaiah which we would believe as well. Jews also believe from Daniel and from other texts that there will be a resurrection from the dead of all people who have ever lived will be raised and will stand before God physically and be judged. World history is quite sobering folks. But also there's incredible hope. When you're looking at the, the big picture, you see that God has been out working a plan. In Daniel 12 and verse 1, the Bible prophesies and predicts, and Jesus also spoke about a time of tribulation, a time with things that would be a dark hour on planet Earth. You see, folks, at the beginning of time, way back, rewinding to the early chapters in Genesis, uh, we see God created an incredible world. Having created this world... God described it and said, it is good. Then he created on planet earth human beings. People made in his image. We were set apart from the animal kingdom in that animals, while they are God's creation, they were not created in the image of God. Human beings, however, were created in the image of God. And when God made us, he didn't just speak us into existence. He got his sleeves rolled up and he formed us. God took personally us. And the Bible says we are made in his image. That's why within every human being there is a desire to worship, which you do not see the same desire in the animal kingdom. There's an inbuilt desire to worship God, hence the birth of many religions, people trying to work their way to God. Hence the spirituality and the spiritual pursuit that is in every human being. And I, folks, I have to say that this pursuit can only be thoroughly satisfied when we at last connect with the God who made us. Human beings created in God's image, God created us and he said, it is very good. He made human beings. Everything was good. Peaceful world. God put us in charge of the planet. 
But he also gave us, because he made us in, in his image, God also entrusted to us something very precious. It's called our free will. And thank God for free will. Otherwise, we'd be a race of robots automatically doing his will. But the reality is that would be boring and dull and that would not generate love and that we would not be created in the image of God truly. Because if we are truly created in the image of God, then like God, we must have to have the ability to make decisions. Now, that was a big risk God took because it could mean that they might choose to not do our will. There was a risk that had to be taken. Love takes risks. And human beings turned against God. We were tempted, the Bible depicts, and we we turned against God. And this great fall came into the human race, the fall of mankind, as we bowed the knee not to God, but rather to Satan's temptation, who had himself fallen at a previous moment. And we, at that point, lost our authority on planet Earth. And the pinnacle of God's creation, you can understand, it's like I gave you the keys to my house. God gave us the keys to this entire planet. Now, spiritually, when we fell, it set in motion like a domino effect where the entire planet fell into corruption because we are in charge of the planet. Everything fell into corruption. I don't believe God created a cracked planet with plates that shift, but here we have now a situation where the world is cracked, earthquakes, suffering, climate change, all these things happen. God created a world of abundance, a world that is good, a world that he said is good, and he created us and said it was very good, but when we fell, everything fell as well. Everything was subject to corruption, sickness, disease, suffering. It started with this issue, sin. Sin is the problem. Suffering, sickness, disease, ruin, divorces, heartache, tears. This, all these horrendous things that inflict planet Earth are the effects. But sin is the cause. Sin is basically us choosing to do, live our life, not God's way, just our way. Where we are our own gods. Who needs anyone to tell us what to do? So sin was the problem. And at the beginning of time, we turned away from God. You see, the Bible message is that things went from good and started getting worse. That's the Bible message. The evolutionary theory would try and say that actually things started with chaos and disorder and through a sequence of periods of time to justify a whole lot of coincidental happenings which brought life and brought design and somehow or another has resulted in this incredible world with all its intricacies. Folks, I don't see a world that's evolving to become something better. I see a world that's a glimmer of what it was. I see a world that started with perfection, God said it is good, and a world that is decaying and is getting worse and worse and worse. This world, according to the Bible, there's going to be a time of great tribulation that has not been seen since the beginning. Things are going to get worse, folks. Evil is going to get eviler, and it's going to become more clear. Good is going to shine brighter. And it's become, become clear. And the conflict between the two will be great. And this is the, the picture that the Bible gives us. People say, well, if God is so good, why does he allow suffering on planet Earth? Well, this takes us right back to what we said at the beginning, that God gave humankind a free will. If for God to deal with suffering... He would have to deal with the root cause of suffering, which is sin in human beings. 
You would agree with that? If, if sin is the problem, not, not, just the, not just the effects, sin is the cause. For God to deal with all the effects, he would have to deal with the cause. And if sin is the cause, then he would have to judge us. Because we are the culprits of sin. We are the instigators of sin. So therefore, for God to bring an end to suffering, an end to disease, end to wars, he would have to override the very principle he put in place at the beginning. This gift called free will. Now the thing is this. God has intervened. God has done something about the cause. First of all, he sent Jesus. Jesus came to deal with the cause. Jesus, who was sinless, he was fully human and fully God and lived a human life and died on a cross, not for his own sin, but for the sin of humankind. He died to deal with the cause. That's the good news. So you, by accepting him, can deal with the cause in your life. And instead of it taking you down when you die, it takes you up. That's good news. But God will also deal with the suffering in this world once and for all at the end of time he will draw a line and he will override the free wills that he gave human beings and he will at last bring judgment he just dealt with sin in two ways he's dealt with it by Jesus paying the price for it and at the end of time he will bring his final judgment on sin and eradicate suffering and sin once and for all so God is a good God. Please don't misinterpret the suffering in this world as God's doing. It's not. It started with us. In fact, it started with Satan who tempted us. We were gullible enough to fall for it and we've been doing it ever since. And I believe that God is withholding judgment just now. We're not seeing fire coming down from heaven just now. We're not seeing lightning bolts hitting. Why? Here's why. Very clearly. There is an open door. There is a season of grace you remember the account in the Bible, an historic happening, a man called Noah. God spoke to him and said, I'm going to send a flood on the earth. Archaeology would agree with this, that there was a flood that came on planet earth that wiped out everything living. That was God's judgment against sin. But that, that, in that moment, God spoke to Noah and said, build an ark. So he made this huge ark. And Noah, who lived many centuries, built this ark. And God supernaturally moved all the animals to that location so they could board this ark. But I have to tell you that all Noah's family and close friends got on that ark. Now listen, for, for centuries that ark was under construction. It might not have even been near a sea. And Noah's friends and neighbors must have been thinking, this guy's a madman. <laughs> He's building a, a boat. What? What's going on, Noah? God is going to send judgment on planet Earth. There will be rain. Man, rain because up until that point the bible records there had been no rain the bible says that the earth had been watered by springs that were under the under the grounds but here noah is almost preaching to his generation there is a judgment coming save yourselves and i have to tell you that noah and his family and the animals got on the ark and the door was open but the bible says a time came when god's shut the door god's shut the door but there was a time when the door was open and we're living in a season just now where the world will not be destroyed by a flood like described. The Bible says the world will eventually be destroyed by fire. And I have to tell you, in a parallel way, the door is open. It's called grace. That Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, paid the price for the sin of humanity. And there is an opening just now, grace, G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid the price so you and I could be forgiven. And there's an opening. Come to him. Come and be safe 
in the body of the ark. Come to Jesus Christ. In him you ride over the judgment that is to come. And just as that ark landed on the seventh day of the seventh month, the Jewish calendar changed when they left Egypt. That became the, the seventh day of the first month, which is the exact same day that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. The good news is the ark is a parallel of Jesus Christ. And when you put your life into Jesus Christ, the judgment will bypass you. The judgment that is up ahead, you'll be safe eternally. The door is open, folks. Come to him. He's our lifeline. He's our safety. God desires all people to get saved. That's why there's no judgment yet. He's holding back. He's holding back. Boy, he's holding back. There are more people alive now than have ever been alive. In the last 50 years, more people have been on planet Earth in the last 50 years than there has been in all the other generations previous since the creation of time. That's a fact. Our world's population at the turn of last century was 1 billion people. In one century, it grew from 1 billion to 6 billion. If you chart back human history, at the time of Jesus, the Time magazine estimates that the world population in the time of Jesus Christ was 170 million people, which actually relates to the Bible record of how old our earth is if you predict it back to one. And here Jesus and Jesus times 170 million people. It's grown to one billion at the turn of the 20th century. And in one century, as the dawn of the millennium came, it grew to six billion people. And God is holding back judgment. Why? Because he wants the good news of what Jesus Christ has done to be spread in this whole planet. Now you could say, well, what about those who haven't heard? And I understand that's, a, that's an emotive argument. I understand that. And we could go around that circle for years and worry about that. But listen, instead of worrying about that, just get out and tell. <laughs> that's, that's our motive. Why do we want a bigger building? Why do we want to get out of our comfort zone and, and do something in our city and our nation? Why? Why we, instead of getting down about the judgment that's up ahead, instead of worrying about those who haven't heard, let's just let it motivate us. God isn't trying to fear people into his kingdom. God isn't trying to freak people out and get them saved. That's not what God's trying to do. God is a God of love. I didn't marry my wife because my father-in-law held, held a gun against my head and said, you better marry her. I married my wife because I fell in love. And there's a God in heaven who's deeply in love with you and is deeply in love with our worlds. And coming to him is, is a relationship thing. It's not, oh, I better come to him or I'll get done in. Come to him because he loves you. Come to him because you're created in his image and it's, you were meant to live with him. You weren't meant to be judged. You weren't meant to even live in sin. But that has come. It's alien to our nature, but it's there, so it must be dealt with. But God has done something about that, and you can come to him in faith through Jesus and have an eternal life rather than facing the consequence of the sin that this world is going to face. God's desire in 1 Timothy 2 and verses 3 to 4, God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is holding back because he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now that won't happen. There's a classic example of what God wants not happening. Kesara Sarah is not biblical. God wants all to get saved, but God has to work with our free will. And it is very clear that not everyone will choose this. But we've got to at least tell everyone. There will be a resurrection in the future, but there was already a resurrection. Let's focus on the first resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read some verses, verses 1 to 8 and verses 20 to 22. This is Paul speaking about the resurrection and the death of Jesus. Now, we've sung a lot of songs about that tonight. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the words 
I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus' death on the cross for our sins wasn't just a random thought of God. Hundreds of years prior to that, there's prophecies and predictions that this would be exactly what would take place, and it was God's plan, a rescue plan for humanity. Christ died according to the Scriptures. All the prophecies from back there predicted this happening. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Paul was writing in the generation that Jesus had been alive in. Though some have fallen asleep, some have died. And he, he, and he appeared to James. That was Jesus' brother. He appeared to his brother. Imagine that. Now listen, Jesus' brothers had kind of previously doubted whether he was the Messiah. All right? You can understand that's a bit convincing. All right? They'd seen their brother die on the cross. Now he's raised from the dead. Hmm. So this was kind of convincing. Uh, and they had been skeptical up to this point. But now they were thoroughly convinced. And then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul says. Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. Jesus, who rose from the dead, is preceding the great resurrection that will take place at the end when every human being will be raised. For since death came through one man, that's Adam, the resurrection from the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all are made alive. Folks, Jesus did die on the cross. And that was a dark moment. In fact, signifying the darkness, historically there was an eclipse. There was a darkness came over the face of the earth. For three hours, I think. And Jesus, as he hung on that cross, carried the sin of the entire world. Every human being who's ever lived hit their sin, their brokenness, their negative agendas, their loose living, their bad morals, their perversions, their negative thoughts let alone their actions all the stuff that goes on in the inside and all the stuff that we do in the outside jesus carried it all the one who had not sinned the one who had no sin became sin for us the bible says in that dark moment it looked like all hope was gone jesus died on the cross and his disciples dropped their head they thought the world is gone for this is the one they thought was going to rescue humanity they didn't understand that the greatest victory had just been won but jesus died on that cross and was in a grave for three days and on the third day, he rose again. In June 18th, 1850, there was a man uh, on the top of the tower of England's Winchester Cathedral, looking out anxiously to see. Across the English Channel in France, the Duke of Wellington had been sent from England to take on the French dictator Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon Bonaparte had overrun all of Europe and was set on taking on England and the United Kingdom. This, this battle would be a defining moment. It would be a defining moment as whether or not, because if this battle, if Wellington lost this battle, then undoubtedly Napoleon Bonaparte would, and his armies would uh, land on the shores of Britain and would overrun Britain. And history would have been totally different. So this man looking out from the top of Winchester Cathedral, looking out across the sea, looking for a signal, all of a sudden the signal comes. The signal that's been flashed by lights from uh, the Duke of Wellington's navy. The signal starts coming. Wellington defeated. A fog, thick fog came in 
and he couldn't see anything else. The message he had seen was, Wellington defeated. He shouted down to those who were eagerly awaiting the news. Their heads bowed, their hearts sank. They were desperate. They thought, we've lost, we're goners. But then the fog cleared and the signal continued. Wellington defeated the enemy. The good news was, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. It seemed like all was gone, but Jesus had this plan all the time. He, he beat sin. He conquered death. He defeated Satan, the arch enemy of humankind. And if you will put your trust in him, you are safe from Satan. You are rescued from your own sin, even though you may struggle with it until you die. The effects of it are dealt with. And you go in heaven bound. It's the good news. Jesus rose from the dead. His resurrection precedes the entire resurrection of the human race, which is prophesied about for the end of time. It will be an event that we will all experience. And you might think, I don't believe that. All right, I'll see you there. I'll be right, you'll be wrong. We'll all look a bit weird. I don't know what happens if you've been cremated. Can I? I'm sure God's thought of all these things. But do, did Jesus really rise from the dead? I mean, that's a big issue. Tons of people discuss this and argue this. I believe he did. I'm convinced he did. And here's some reasons I'm convinced he did. Some people say, well, the disciples stole the body. Well, here's why I disagree. Because these disciples who stole the body, first of all, emotionally, they were at their lowest point ever. They had just seen Jesus die on the cross. Do you think they had the emotional energy to keep this thing alive? Trying sake of saving face here let's just argue that jesus rose from the dead and start a new religion they didn't have emotional energy to pull that one off secondly they were they were were endangering their own lives if they did that and here's the fact all but one of the disciples died as martyrs they died as martyrs for declaring that jesus had died on the cross and rose again the jewish authorities and the romans martyred them all all but one John the Apostle survived and he was in exile in Patmos at the end of his life. They all died. Now, most people wouldn't die for the truth, let alone people die for a lie that they made up. I don't think so. Well, the Jewish authorities stole the body away. That's the other option. That doesn't sit right with me. Because why would they want to do such a thing giving the disciples that they an excuse to argue that Jesus had risen from the dead, stealing the body away. And then when the disciples started telling everyone, Jesus is alive, well, surely the Jewish authorities who wanted to stamp out this Christianity thing could have just simply have said, no, no, here's the body here. To disprove them in one one very simple act, they could have instantly discredited the whole thing. It didn't happen. And the fact is, in those days, dead heroes, especially someone of the the stature of Jesus Christ with the thousands upon thousands who followed him. Their tombs were adorned. They became shrines. They became places of pilgrimage. They became places celebrated like the great kings of old, like King David and like Elijah. Some, some of the... Elijah didn't have a great... Okay, some, some of the other great... If you know what I'm talking about, you're a cool joke, huh? So the, some of the great prophets of old, they celebrated their tombs and they went there in pilgrimage and, they, and this was a place where people would go and they'd remember their life. Jesus' tomb wasn't there. His body wasn't in the tomb. Here's another evidence for the the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says that it was the woman 
who were first to witness the resurrection. Now, if you were a gospel writer and you were wanting to convince your readers of something that was a lie, you knew it was a lie, but you want to convince people, you would not say it was the woman who were the first to witness the resurrection. Because in that day and age, in that culture, women's witness meant nothing. Oftentimes, a woman in a court case, their witness would not carry any weight because simply they were a woman. And you can't trust women. That's what they thought. <laughs> so the, the women being the first witnesses of the resurrection would actually go against their argument in that culture. Yet that is what they wrote. Jews strictly worshipped on the Sabbath, which is the Saturday. Yet the resurrection took place on the first day of the week, which is the Sunday. Now Jesus rose on the Sunday. You ought to rise on the Sunday too. You 6.30 servicers. There's a bit of revelation in there for some of you. You can see your heads bowing. I repent, Lord, I repent. But you understand for hardcore Jews as these people were, for them to change the main focal day of worship from a Saturday to the Sunday, a stonable offense. Yet, en masse, Jews who believed in Jesus, the first day of the week, the Sunday, the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day, became their focal day. Only the Resurrection could have convinced hardcore Jews to change such a, a long-standing tradition and law. The last evidence I want to put to you is this, that Jesus' mother and brothers came to believe in him. James, right? He knew Jesus as a kid. He gave him wedgies. He, he kind of rough and tumble with Jesus. He knew Jesus, right? As such, it would have taken an awful lot to believe that your brother, Jesus, is, is the Lord. Big one to get over. Yet James, who we find the book of James in the Bible, Jesus' brother, became one of the key leaders in the early church. Only the resurrection from the dead could have convinced a skeptical brother. You can convince other folks, but you cannot convince a skeptical brother unless such an evidence is put in front of you. Billy Graham, he might be a bit prejudiced, but he says, there's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. It's strange that historians accept thousands of facts for which they can produce only shreds of evidence, but in the face of overwhelming evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they cast a skeptical eye and hold intellectual doubts. The trouble with those people is that they do not want to believe. C.S. Lewis, who for so many years fought against Christianity, fought against the possibility of even there being a God, in his investigation into the claims of Christianity, in his reading of the New Testament, this skeptic, this atheist, this man who, who had issues and who was actually seeking to disprove the resurrection in investigating and reading these Gospels, this great intellectual thinker, this great academic came to the conclusion that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. And one day, he got on his knees, humbly, and reluctantly, but humbly, and acknowledged that, Jesus, you are alive, and I now believe in you. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity, as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. You see, when you understand Jesus has risen from the dead, it puts every single other event in life and things around you in a totally different perspective. The Bible teaches that there will be a mass resurrection. 
just as there was Jesus risen from the dead, the Bible describes him as the first fruits of all of us. We also will rise from the dead at the end of time. I, I believe that the second coming will happen only after the first coming has had its first impact on planet Earth. Many people spend all their time, while tonight we're looking at these issues about the end of times, many people unhealthily spend all their focus and all their energies and times looking into the end of time. Now, will it be a barcode in my head? Will it, you know, post-millennium, a-millennium? All this stuff. If it's not an issue for you, good. Don't let it become an issue for you. A lot of people read books. A lot of people write books. A lot of people get all overly and unhealthily interested in all these issues that are up ahead. It's good to be aware of them. It's good to read about them. It's good to look at what the Bible says about it, not what everyone else has to say about it, who write books and make lots of money from that. Just look what the Bible says. But don't have an unhealthy interest in the second coming, because the fact is, folks, the second coming is only going to happen when the first coming has its full impact on planet Earth. Once the gospel has been preached to the ends of the earth, and that's our agenda. Don't get so caught up in that. Remember when the disciples saw Jesus go up and he, and he said, I will come in like manner? They were like that. They were expecting him to go up and come down. And then God had to send an angel and say, hey guys, come on, go to Jerusalem as he told you. There's a job to be done. And some Christians need an angel to come along and go, hey, come on, get on with your job. Stop looking up. Just get on with it. Look here. Get on with the purpose. Daniel 12 and 2 predicts this mass resurrection. It says that multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to everlasting shame. The Bible tells us that there will be a resurrection of both the unrighteous and the righteous. The unsaved and the saved will all rise from the dead and will stand before God. God will pass judgment. Some will go to everlasting contempt. Others will go to everlasting life. That's God's call. You and I have a choice in our here and now with the free will that God has endowed to us as people made in his image as to where our lives will end up. You have a choice. Paul, writing about this, this final great resurrection, continuing on in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42 and to 44, then 49 to 57, he says this, the body that is sown perishable, in other words, our body dies, perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body, it is raised as a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, Adam, so we will also bear the likeness of the man from heaven, Jesus Christ. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God's. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. You all thought it was happening. <laughs> For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that, that is written will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory 
through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say that, you know, we're going to die just mortal human beings. But the Bible tells us that we will all be raised with an immortality. And just as we've borne the image of Adam, we've got bodies that are subject to sickness, we've got bodies that are subject to suffering, we've got bodies that are subject to corruption and decay. We can Botox it and do all the stuff to it, but eventually it all sags and goes down. But when we get raised, you're all going to look as good as me. <laughs> Oily bully. And we're going, to, we're going to be raised immortal. We're going to bear the likeness of Jesus Christ. We were made that way in the first place, created in the image of God. And now we're the image of God with corruption. But hey, then, we're going to be the image of God in its full glory. That's a pretty exciting. I don't know if we'll be able to fly or not. I'm, I'm just going to try all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Many people have got this impression of heaven. I'll talk about this in a moment. It's going to be so much better than you've thought. Or the Victorian paintings have depicted. Personally, sitting naked on a fluffy cloud with a harp for eternity. Sounds like hell to me. <laughs> and that ain't in the Bible. Honestly? Uh huh. I'll get saved then. Great. Good choice. <laughs> the Bible says, in a twinkling of an eye, when we see him, boom, we're going to be changed. Some people will be alive at that moment when that mass resurrection takes place. Other people will have died. Paul expected it to happen in his generation. That's clear from what he's writing there. He said, he said you're not all going to die. Some of you will, but you will all be changed. It didn't happen in this generation, but we should live with the expectation it could happen in this generation. It could. It absolutely could. There's a job to be done first, but it could. And there's going to be such a change. We'll just become like Jesus. All the filthy thinking. All the bad attitudes. All the sickness. All the suffering. Gone. New night, new life, new era, new star, new heaven and a new earth. Us and Jesus Christ for eternity. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be so exciting. It's going to be adventures. Now you think, adventure? How can you have adventure without sin? You watch. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. How should we live then, folks? Well, in Daniel 12 and verse 3, it gives us this advice. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Folks, human beings rise and fall. Celebrities can rise to fame in one moment, but within a twinkling of an eye, where have they gone? What happened to Gareth Gates? <laughs> what, what happened to... What are you laughing at? Who? Exactly. People just rise to fame and just disappear. They're the, the flavor of the month and they've gone. Rich people come and go. Famous celebrities come and go. That's the reality of our human condition, folks. But the Bible says, if you're wise, you walk with God, you're going to shine forever. You ain't going to come and go. You're going to shine forever. Psalm 103, verses 15 to 16 says that, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But Daniel, he describes in this prophecy, in Daniel 12 and verse 3, it describes a life that shines forever. It des describes an eternal legacy, forever shining, as you were always meant to. The question is, are you wise? 
Are you people who are positively influencing others? It says that, and those who lead many to righteousness are like the stars forever and ever. You get people who are opposite to that. They promote sin. They try and put a stumbling block in the way of other people. They put temptation in the ways of people. These are the ways we've got to avoid. We've got to be wise people who promote God's ways, live God's ways, and honor God with our lives. The Bible describes a new heavens and a new earth. Not only will we be raised and resurrected, the pinnacle of God's creation put back in place as pinnacle, as the image of God, as we uncorrupted, sin-free, forgiven, eternal, immortal. But not only that, but the Bible says there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to recreate the existing heavens and new earth and just remodel it, or whether or not he's just going to start from scratch. The Bible in Revelation says he'll roll it up like a scroll and start again, symbolic of this great change that God's going to do. And here's what it says in Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What will it be like? Well, we can't even begin to comprehend how good it is. It says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, you think you've seen good stuff? And we have seen good stuff on planet Earth. It is pretty awesome. The mountains... Those rivers, those waterfalls, the smells on a spring morning, the whole life we live, these intricacies, love, friendships, beauty, views, sunsets, the whole thing, this beauty that we see that we think is so incredible, well, the Bible says that it hasn't even entered into our minds how good it's going to be. Folks, what's up ahead is so much more incredible than anything that you and I have even seen, even though this time-space world is already incredible. It's only a glimmer of what lies ahead. There will be responsibilities to carry. The Bible's clear that if you've been faithful with small in this life, God will entrust you with more in the next life. So for me, it's not just about getting there. It's about living a great life to make a difference. So when I get there, I get there in style. And I want you all to get there in style too living great lives on earth, making an impact and living an eternal life in style. God may even entrust to us an Art Deco cinema in heaven. Stylish Art Deco cinema. (laughs) And the Bible says there'll be no sun in heaven. There'll be just the radiance of God's glory. And here's a a corker. There's going to be no more tears in heaven. Revelation 21, 3 to 5, it says, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's going to be a good day. See, I like the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it would be in heaven. We ain't going to experience the fullness of that here. But I want to see a bit of that here. And already I want to tell you, statistically, life in the house of God is so diametrically opposed to life outside of the house of God. That's why we need a bigger building, because we want to have more people in the house of God. Because there's healing in the house of God. There's comfort. And it doesn't mean that life's always easy. You and I know that all too well. But there is answers. There is cleansing. There is restoration. 
There is rebuilding where there was tear, previously tearing down. There is healing of wounds that seem so open that you never thought there was any remedy. But God is a God who wants to wipe every tear from your eyes. That's why I pray with passion, God, let your kingdom come. Edinburgh desperately needs it. God, let your will be done in the time-space world we're living in now. Don't just let us experience it then. I want to introduce people to it now. I want to see some of that great power of the kingdom of God in our here and now, in our day and age. That's why I live. That's why we exist as a church, as an usher of God's kingdom onto planet Earth. Eventually it will come in its fullness, as described here in Revelation. And the Bible tells us there will be not a tear in the eye. God will deal with the mourning. Isn't that good news? Man, some people need that. Some people desperately need that. It's been so bad for so many people. We've got to introduce people to Jesus. We've got to get them there. How can you ensure your eternal destination? Romans 10 and verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple as that. And as hard as that. Saying Jesus is Lord isn't just, yeah, Jesus is Lord. It's saying, I make you boss. And that has an implication in the way you live. It means turning from your old ways and choosing to follow him. It means total faith. Not just, yeah, he's out there somewhere. I mean, God, I commit my life to you. Matthew 6 and verse 19 to 21, Jesus teaches us to live in the light of the eternity ahead. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You're not living for stuff. You're not living for temporary things. God has no problem with you having property and money and enjoyment and holidays and hobbies, but you ain't living for it. Take it or leave it. It's not, it's not your agenda in life. Prosperity, fine, but it's not your God. You're living for him. And that means whether you've got stuff or whether you don't have stuff, you're happy. And as you are a blessing, you will be blessed, absolutely. But it's not your source. He's your source. You're living for a bigger purpose. You're living for an eternal kingdom. You're living for a God who lives and reigns in heaven and where our allegiance is totally to him. George Truitt, a famous Baptist pastor from America in Texas was one day spending time with a, a very wealthy man in Texas. And this wealthy man owned large property. And he took George Stewart to one particular high point in his lands where it was a vista over all the acres that he owns. And he pointed George Stewart and he pointed to the, to the north. And there in the north he could see the oil wells punctuating the landscape. And he said, I used to have nothing, and now I own all those oil wells. Then he pointed to the west, and all the west there was all these sprawling grain fields. And he says, I, I had nothing. I, I'm a self-made man. I've worked my way up, and I now own all those grain fields. Then he pointed to the south, and he says, and, he, and there was all the livestock in the distance, on all the, covering the landscape. And he said, that's all my la- livestock. And he he pointed to the one that's left. What was that? Anyway, and there over there, there was, there was forestry as far as you could see. And he said, I own all that too. And George Troop put his hand on his shoulder and pointed up and he said, do you own much in that direction? 
the man hung his head and confessed, I've never thought of that. You see, at the end of the day, it will mean nothing. Now, if you've got it, great. If you want more, go for it. It's not the issue. It's not your, don't let it be your agenda. Don't let it be your main reason. Prosper by all means. The Bible teaches that. But prosper rather in your soul. Prosper in your relationship with God above everything else. There is only one life. And it will soon be passed. And only what one does for Christ will last. Let's pray. God, we stand in awe of you. We acknowledge you as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. We realize that you are the eternal God who created the heavens and the earth. We realize, God, that you from the beginning of time have been a God of incredible love, a God of great passion, and you took a big risk when you created us in your image. And God, with our free will, we've rebelled against you. Not only did our ancestors rebel against you, but we ourselves have rebelled against you. We live like you're not there. We pursue our own agendas. We live unaccountable lives. And for this, we ask forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for living as a man, for dying on the cross for my sin and for my friend's sins here, and for all the people in the world for all time. You paid the price, Jesus. You paid the ultimate price. You paid such a high price, your own blood shed as a sacrifice for all humanity. Your life for our life. Your heaven you give us because you took our hell. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for humanity so that we ourselves don't need to pay the price at the end of time. God, we choose to accept that. We choose to believe in you. We choose to confess you as our Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the series we've been looking at in Daniel. Thank you for the magnificent truth. Thank you for the mind-expanding prophecies. Thank you for the challenging thoughts and the verses we've looked at. And God, we just want to say we want to be a man like Daniel. We want to live courageous lives. We want to live courageous lives in the midst of a world that's not knowing where it's going. We want to live lives of integrity, not in some self-righteous, pious way, but in a way that enhances the world around us, just like Daniel did. Thank you for the life he lived. Thank you for the influence he bore. Thank you for the difference he made in his generation. Thank you, God, we're alive ourselves at this time for you in Edinburgh, doing your will. Just pray back your own response to God just now. I'm very aware there might well be people here this evening who have maybe at some point in the past had some form of commitment to God but for whatever happens you're now living for so many other things you're no longer living if you're honest with yourself you're no longer living for God he's taken second place and while you call him Lord or maybe you've stopped calling him Lord he certainly isn't in reality in your life come on come back to him tonight the door is open the grace is available come back to him he, he loves you so much don't come to him because you're scared of what might happen if you don't come to him because you are meant to come to him because that's the reason you were born in the first place come to him because that fulfills who you are as a human being and that you should be in love with the god who made you come back to him maybe you've never ever made a commitment to god in the past that's fine come to him you might think well i i feel like i'm a fish out of water you're not this is god your creator we're talking about it should be the most natural thing for you to come to the God who made you. Come to him. 
come to him. So what I'm going to do is this. If you want to come to him tonight, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And I just invite you very simply to repeat this prayer after me. Let this be, let this be the, the prayer from the bottom of your heart. A prayer of commitment. A prayer of acknowledging your sin. A prayer of accepting Jesus. A prayer of making him your Lord. So pray this prayer with me just now. Repeat it after me under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, I thank you, God, for your love for me. I thank you, Jesus, that you love me so much that you died on that cross. Now I understand why you had to do that. And I acknowledge that I am part of the problem. God, I am a sinner. And I need you, my Savior. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for all my sin all my rebellion for the way I've hurt you others and myself please forgive me thank you Jesus thank you for rising again I believe you're resurrected I believe you're alive and I look forward to meeting you and honoring you face to face Jesus right now I make you Lord of my life I willingly yield my life and my future to you. From this day forward, you are my focus. From this day forward, I'm not going to live for stuff. But I'm going to live for you, God. I love you, God. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer there, good news, God heard, and I'd love to pray for you. While everyone else's eyes are closed, can I ask you to do a very simple thing? If you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, this is between you and God, folks. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing. I want you to acknowledge that you prayed the prayer by raising your hand, and I'm going to pray for you. Then I'll get you to put your hand down again. Thanks. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Put them up high so I can see them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer, just let me know you did it by raising your hand. Anyone else like that? Thank you. Anyone else? Dear God, I thank you for every precious individual who tonight has raised their hands. I want to thank you, God in heaven. You're so excited. You're in love with them, God. You demonstrated that by sending Jesus. And thank you tonight, heaven throws a party to celebrate these precious, precious souls who simply have accepted you, who have acknowledged their sin and who have humbly come to their God. And I pray, God, that they would know right now your love and acceptance pouring into their lives. I pray they would know this hope that they have now an eternal life in you. God, I pray they would get to know you as Father. I pray they would get to know you as their Lord. And I pray they would walk with you, not just today, but tomorrow and next week. I pray, God, help them to walk with you and get to church regular so they can grow in their faith. Help them to take steps like get baptized and move forward and live a great life for the honor and glory of God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship God to end the service.